the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And great to be with you. What a day we have. What a day we have. Uh, Two great interviews today. An update from Gregory Wrightstone, our friend, the executive director of the uh, CO2 Coalition. And uh, Inconvenient Facts is the name of his book, we're going to talk about the high cost of diesel fuel and what they call distillate fuel, which includes uh, jet fuel and other uh, fuel that runs uh, sort of high powered engines and how that's being affected. It's going to affect inflation and everything else. Uh, our, my friend Paul Boardman, a new uh, guest, is the founder of Decouple China, Decouple China. Dot org. I think that's right. A website. I'll make sure to confirm that. Uh, he is basically a business guy who understands policy. And he came up with an idea to try to pressure uh, candidates for office to commit to decoupling with China. So very he knows the problem of the, the Chinese regime. And we'll talk with him. But first, what you need to know. Today's what you need to know is the ongoing scandal of the narrative machine, the ongoing lies of the narrative machine. So if you can believe it, and it slipped by most people, it came out earlier this week. It has been confirmed by the government that the documents that were seized in the dramatic Mar-a-Lago raid Okay, remember the Mar-a-Lago raid of Donald Trump's papers? The allegation was, and and only confidential sources, no one could produce the documents or state definitively what they were. You only had people like Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff and others saying, well, sources close to the investigation say some of the documents may be national security or even nuclear. And for a a period of weeks, I don't know, six, eight weeks, a couple of months, we had the narrative machine. Big government telling everyone there was a raid and there are documents. Big media, every cable channel covering it breathlessly. And big tech, not fact-checking anything, just allowing the misinformation out there. The three of them put out the narrative machine that Donald Trump had actually been Stealing documents away for espionage, for I don't know what, for uh, blackmail, for something. It turns out that earlier this week, the United States government confirmed to the public that the documents that were kept were mementos, souvenirs. They were things that Donald Trump wanted to keep that were uh, markings, uh, demarcations of his job, things that he felt uh, were memorable to him. Literally, it, they took a scrapbook. They raided Mar-a-Lago for his scrapbooking, for his scrapbook. And they told the American people for two months plus that it was a national security threat. Now, think about this and then say to yourself, wow, what liars, what, what a narrative machine full of liars. These are lying, thieving weasels, right? And then say to yourself, do you realize, do you get it? 
they admitted that they were lying this week. When is that? Well, it's after the midterm election. So for people that were told, fear democracy. Remember that one? Fear democracy. There are threats to democracy. You must fear democracy. You must go out and vote. Fear democracy. There are tyrants around the corner. They steal the national security secrets. They have the nuclear codes. They're going to give them to the Russians or the, 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 South, the North Koreans or the, uh, I don't know, Chinese or whatever. Total nonsense, total nonsense used against we the people in favor of their political outcome, their political positions. If it weren't uh, real, it sounds like a movie. It sounds like a, a, a trashy made for TV movie about the stumbling, bumbling, lying cops and uh, law enforcement and others. But it's not. It's not. In fact, so much so that as I watched President Trump announce his uh, inauguration, I thought, how many people in the country know of Mar-a-Lago from the raid? Because the images of that ballroom is a famous, famous building, uh, famous uh, compound. I guess it's, it's more than a single building. It's a few, but they're linked. It's got a famous uh, ballroom. It's got these ornate, uh, um, uh, I don't know, uh, cupolas and, uh, and these really high-end and, and historic-looking uh, spaces. And the American people know of it because of the Mar-a-Lago raid, which was totally made up. The narrative machine, what you need to know, the narrative machine is the greatest threat to the republic. That's the facts. There can be no doubt about that now. It's happening more and more. So unbelievable, unbelievable. That's what you need to know. All right, we'll come back and we'll talk with Gregory Wrightstone and we will also visit with Paul Boardman, a new friend. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I got to tell you, my listeners know, Paul, that when I get a guest and somebody lined up, especially when I schedule it a few days out or a week out, and that's what happened with our next guest, uh, Paul Boardman, uh, I got him scheduled and I kept going back. He's got a website and a movement that's called Decouple China, Decouple China. And more importantly, he and I were talking offline a little bit. He understands politics. So it's a pack. It's, uh, you know, you can decouple China, write deep thoughts and all. But as we also mentioned, there's guys like Gordon Chang that are doing that. There's people that are out there that have, you know, real, um, you know, General Spalding has been on this show. But you got to also move the needle within the deciders and the, and, the, and the policymakers. And one of the ways to do that is to be in the political system. So, uh, first of all, Paul Boardman is a businessman. He's been active in many different ways in business. He's also uh, hosted radio shows. Importantly, for our listeners like me, he ran for office uh, years ago, learned how that worked and didn't win. Thankfully, if he'd won, he would have been a, probably been an arrogant guy that got swamped up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure it wouldn't happen, Paul. And uh, <laughs> currently, he's running Decouple, Decouple China, Decouple China Pack and you go to decouplechina.org. So welcome, Paul Boardman. How are you, sir? Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. I appreciate it so much. Decouple China Pact, exactly right. You couldn't be more correct. We have to get engaged in the process. And so I'm talking to candidates all over the country. We had some good success with a pledge, the Decouple China Pledge, to decouple completely from the Communist Chinese Communist Party, completely 100%. No more trade, just nothing. And we had some good signers of that, mostly at the state rep level and state Senate level. But we put that out there to, to um, frame the issue. Yeah. So many people on the other side, well, we can't, it's to me, it's 
un-American, completely un-American to even think about the concept that we can't control our own destiny. So in other words, the Chinese Communist Party controls us. We have to do things the way they want to do them. We have to work with them. We have to trade with them. No, no, we don't. We could be completely independent. But everybody's on that side, including a lot, most of the members of Congress. No, we can't. And I, I, I believe that's completely wrong. And it's against our liberty and the founders of the country and who we are. We're talking with Paul Boardman about his effort, which and I want to circle back to the actual decouple China and talk about the pledge and talk about how you impacted elections and how you're growing into that. But let me pull back and say, you know, I was looking at your CV, your resume. I mean, you, you've been, you know, the, the chief executive officer in business, um, in in uh, services, as well as in uh, products. And and, you know, you've played a, you, you've had a full career for de- a couple decades. Um when did you see? When did you figure out? When did you come to really understand the problem of China? Lots of folks still haven't. And so, I, you know, for starting out when you're a kid, you're I think you were in sales. Right. So you're selling and then you're managing and you're being executive. When did you figure this out? Because a lot of us were swept along kind of saying, hey, you know, eventually the Chinese uh, market being open will, uh, you know, it will liberalize things there. It'll turn out great. How, when did, when was your sort of coming? I may not have been a fall off the ho- uh, horse on the, uh, you know, assault to, to Paul thing, but where 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 did you come to understand this? <laughs> well, it was Ronald Reagan pulled me into it. I was in my small town in Indiana, and that was it. And college, um, I went to Washington, and I've been involved ever since then. Um, he impacted me incredibly, and eventually, I ran for Congress in Los Angeles in his district uh, against Henry Waxman twice. After I did that, it was a only Republican district, 30% Republican district. So I was really, um, you know, tilting and tilting, the best wind, I could tilting, there. At, tilting at windmills, but, uh, but, but worthy, a worthy cause. It was a worthy cause. So I wanted to do it. I learned a lot and it was fantastic. Uh, made a lot of friends, uh, did at that time, there were no other districts to go into in California. Now, there are a lot of other districts you can go into and run in. But back then uh, there weren't. And I did that. It was fantastic. After that, I said, look, I'm going to get involved when I feel 100 percent completely passionate about it. That hit me three years ago. I did have the fall off the horse moment where in my mind, everything became clear to me that now there are a lot of conversations I had. I remember actually talking to Sonny Bono about this back in 1996 mm-hmm. about the Chinese when they were starting to go for the most favored nation treaty status yeah, and yeah, so forth. Yeah, yep. And he talked about how they, they're playing all those games. But it, I just had that moment three years ago. I said, okay, I cannot be on the sidelines. I have to do something. So I just started the pack. I just started it, started calling people. I put the pledge together and just started selling. What I remember from Ronald Reagan is you take a policy position and you sell it. And that's that's exactly what I've been doing for three years and uh, had, um, you know, some some impact. Um, it, it to me that the China problem is everything. It's everywhere. If there's a problem in the United States of America, it's the Chinese communist communist party not the people of china the chinese communist party doing it to us they are subverting us at all levels all the time like they are all other countries in the world yeah we're we're talking with uh, paul boardman and uh you should go to uh, the website we'll get to back to this again i promise decouplechina.org um but paul when you're in these uh uh corridors of influence and power and business um 
there's a lot of people that it's been they've been slow to get here. I mean, you can say the communist Chinese are really, um, you know, as as uh, subversive as the communist Soviets were. But people don't quite feel it the same way. They, they don't have a they don't have an association with, I don't know, Stalin, Lenin and post-World War Two and, and the Cold War. Um, and so and, and you have so much money that's been made and Wall Street and other places. And not every not every person, you know, I mean, we know this, not every person that's working on Wall Street or working for a company that that uh, moved a bunch of stuff to China is a bad person, right? They're saying this is the way the system can maximize for for profit and for and everybody benefits and all that. So it's a it, it's Trump accelerated this, but it's a tough sell, isn't it? It, it, is, it is a tough sell. It's an M.O. It's a modus operandi that Americans need to understand. We understand jihadists blow things up and the Russians do what they do, but we have to understand how we are being subverted. And the, the system in place that's been in place to do business with China, to go after cheap labor and so forth, that's been successful as a model. At, but it's at what price, at what cost? So China has decided to show us what that cost is. They have said they want a new world order. They want to eradicate freedom. They are doing those things, what they're doing at the Uyghurs. And it's it's unbelievable um, what they are doing. And um, people have been waking up. So it's not an easy sell. And um, a lot of business people want to continue doing it. Um, we, we're again talking with Paul Boardman and, and the website uh, decouplechina.org. Um, uh, Paul, is the um, as people have come to it, you know, I think Trump gets some credit for this. Also, just as the moment in history, and people are like, "Hey, uh, I've got a friend in, based in St. Louis who." Um, is the I think general counsel of a company that makes comp- comp- parts of the chip industry, and he had spent twenty years of his life going to China to set up there. He wants to come home, and they're and they're happy to move home, and they're trying to figure out how to do it. And so the mm. the, the decouple mm-hmm. part uh, is, is seems to be working. One more question before I get to your pledge and the and the politics, the elections of this. Um, do you think that? Uh, when you look at the history of Soviet communism, where you mentioned the word infiltration, they've intro- you can say the Chinese regime inf- infiltrated our economy. Um, that's I think that's easier to see now than ever. You say, well, um, you know how uh, my mother-in-law famously in my family would never buy anything that said made in China until about 20 years ago. Y- you couldn't buy anything if you didn't buy stuff that was made in China. Right. So she would she would talk about that, that that changed. But um why would, in your estimation, I know this isn't necessarily your wheelhouse, but you're a, a, a thinker on this topic. If the Soviets were so, communists were so good at infiltrating America, they didn't try to manage our economy. They did it with spies and they did it with uh, infiltrating our universities with money. We know this now. I mean, I'm looking at a book on my desk about this, uh, you know, by uh, by a, a gentleman named uh, John Earl Haynes um, on the on the you know rise and fall of the KGB in America. Um, Paul, why wouldn't the communist Chinese be infiltrating every aspect of American life, university life, governments, the government? And, and why isn't that part of why decoupling is harder than it, it it's, should be? Well, they, they are they are doing it. And I think there you go. So let's let's look at it this way. The media will cover one issue a day and a different outlet. So you don't have any media outlet that covers the entire universe of what China is doing. You don't have anybody who says today China did this to America and these 25, 50 things that they did. 
Uh, so the American public is completely uninformed. The you you have to be a China watcher. You have to be a student. You have to be involved on a day to day basis to fully see what they're doing. Uh, you will see something in your community. Oh, um, you know, they're buying land over here next to a military base. They're doing spying. Okay, that has a limited impact on that community, but the. It's the it's their M.O. to um, do 100 things at once and keep people from putting all the pieces together. That's pretty much how they operate. And they subvert in a lot of different fentanyl is another one. I mean, that's a, that's obviously a big one. We should be able to get rid of that pretty quickly, but it's all coming from China. Right. So and then they buying up land. And so there, there are hundreds of things that they do. And we can enumerate a lot of them from the spine. Of course, they do the spine. Of course, they do cybersecurity attacks every single day. They're up in space. You know, how are they going to attack our satellites? They have all these different things that they can do. And um, we're not used to that kind of a swarm um, approach. That's not something because, yeah, they can hack our cars. So, I mean, they could drive, you could be in your car, you could go right off the cliff. Right. They could certainly do that. And they could do a few of those here and there. And, you know, that causes a lot of disturbance in our communities and lack of control. They can affect our elections. So what they want to do and what we see over and over again is their MO is to do a, an action. We know it came from them, but we can't prove it. Right. That's how they like to operate. So, Right. You know. By the way, by the way, I was just dreaming of things uh, to this morning. I know this is crazy, but I couldn't get my phone to work for about 69, 80 seconds. And I was panicking. Mm-hmm. Like, what if my phone died? And I thought, why? you know, someone should just if I was a Chinese spy, I'd just go in and, and, you know, just call. Imagine the tension in my life if my phone died, totally died. Right. And my mm-hmm. wife's died. And someone said, oh, that's just uh, malware. Uh, somebody sent it to you from uh, Nigeria. And I'd be like, dang, those Nigerians again. And the Chinese could do that. And if they did that to it. They did that with the Chinese did that to a couple thousand. I hate to, if they're listening, I don't want to encourage this, but a couple thousand <laughs> Americans right. every week, it, it, the tension level would go through the roof, right? I mean, it's anyway. Right. Okay, now, Paul, I want to get to this because I don't want to run out of time. The, the website is decouplechina.org, and you mentioned the Decouple China Pledge. So you're out there talking to candidates. Consultants never want candidates to sign pledges because they don't want you to get distracted from, I don't know, raising money to buy TV ads. But I mean, you, you know, there's the famous. Miss Grover Norquist anti-tax pledge. That's a pretty good one, right? <laughs> that was the, that's, that's right. The, that, I signed that, that pledge back gold, in the day. That's the, that's the gold standard, right? So, so what? Right. How, did, how was your? How was this? This is your first cycle with the pledge, I think. So, what is the decouple China pledge? How did it go? What do you see coming down the line? Well, the decouple China pledge. It went out to um, a list of GOP nominees around the country, and um, we didn't. We didn't get. To, we, we're not able to call everybody 10 times and really round it up. But we, you know, we had a pretty good um, about 40 different state reps and senators from around the country uh, signed the pledge and sent it back to us. It was a quick, um, although we've been working on it for a long time, we, 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 this, it was really a precursor to this election cycle, but the reality is, is that do we have that much time with China? So that's really the issue. That's why I pushed it out as, as fast as I possibly could. Uh, I was very encouraged that people would sign it. And uh, we're actually continuing to do the analysis right now to find out which candidates won, how they used it and what kind of an impact it had. But it's it, the pledge is to completely decouple 100 percent from China. That means educational programs. It means uh, technology transfers, trade um, really treat them the way we treat Iran, although, um, you know, the Biden administration is actually working with them. 
Uh, we're talking again, Paul Boardman. Let me encourage people go. And I, I just did it actually, Paul. I hadn't done it before. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't. But uh, if you go to uh, decouplechina.org, uh, you can sign up for uh, the email updates from there. So you, I'm, I'm sure it'll be uh, important stuff. So you say, you, 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 again, you, this is important. Paul Boardman is our guest, uh, businessman, uh, someone who uh, uh, has been, um, you know, active in the American economy for 40 years, uh, but also ran for office and learned how that works. And that's one of the reasons why I heard you say this was kind of 2020. 22, you would have never admitted it, but it was a little bit of a warm up for 2024. The idea is, hey, the next time now, everybody says they're against China when they're running, right? Every, including every stupid uh, Republican presidential nominee. And then they get in office and they let the Chinese get uh, most favored nation status. And they and they say, well, you could never do tariffs. Trump was different. But how do you uh, sort of change that? And what's the value at the local level? If you if you're saying to somebody at the local of a state rep, he's going to sign this pledge. How does your list? How do our listeners think? Oh, good. Because what can that guy or gal do? Well, a lot. And this is really the issue is that it is a local level uh, issue. There are schools, school boards. Uh, there are Chinese, 320,000 Chinese nationals in our colleges. They're, they've been there for the last 15 years, around 200,000 a year, not up down last year from 380,000. To me, that's what's uh, provoking the woke culture and being part of training our teachers that are in the public schools. So where's where did all that come from? Just one day, everything went woke. It's just a group of people in America with a demographic. They're woke people. No, Chinese Communist Party came and they they sent their people over. They have a, they cater to them. They put different classes together. They're teaching um, the Chinese Communist Party doctrine in our country through Confucius centers. Uh, but the, in the local level, it's you. You do we know what the Chinese Communist Party owns in the United States? No, we don't, because that's a local issue that has to be done at the mm. county level. Okay, okay that's good. That's yeah. one thing. Yeah, sure. Um, but of course, hacking—they can hack um, your um, your um, your state services just like they can handle you know hack federal services. But a lot of that is they're, they're local issues, and when something is happening in one state that's peculiar. Um, and it's driven by China. Uh, we need to know about that. So we have to um, and they will operate at the local level to dis- to subvert uh, to subvert our people and our country and our economy. Hmm. Uh, Paul Boardman, hey, it's very uh, helpful. Thank you for the time. And uh, we went long, but uh, I couldn't stop. Uh, DecoupleChina.org. Paul Boardman uh, is our guest. He's the founder of the effort. If you go to the website, you can sign up for the emails. Decouple China Pack is what he's talking about, which is where, yeah, we got the policy going. I, I'm with you, but now let's, how do we influence uh, politics? They're very helpful at the end, especially on uh, local uh, awareness. Um, you know, in Missouri, where I was, and I was chief of staff at the time to the governor, there was an effort by the Chinese to get access to our uh, inland port and they were trying to buy up uh, stuff. You know, it's a little bit like uh, many, many of my um, <laughs> listeners will remember and they hear me rant on it. America gave away the Panama Canal in the 70s, stupid Carter move. And uh, Reagan and Phyllis Schlafly were on the side of what are we doing here? And of course, now Panama, the Panama Canal, you've got Chinese uh, money, at least money, if not Chinese ownership. So uh, many things there, Paul. Thank you, Paul. I think it's a good time for this issue and a good time for a savvy person who understands uh, politics to be trying to push uh, the issues around it. So we'll look forward to talking more uh, sometime soon. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it so All much. Right. Appreciate yep. it. Have a great Thank day. Thank you, Paul. Yep. Have a great day. You too. Paul Boardman, everybody. And I'll put up on social media links to all of uh, uh, the website, his website, and uh, some of what uh, we've referenced. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Gregory Wrightstone, our old friend. He is the uh, executive director of the CO2 Coalition, CO2Coalition.org, among other things that him hats he wears and things he does. Uh, welcome back, Gregory. How are you? Oh, really good. V- busy, busy, busy. Yeah. So first, before we get to some specifics, um, uh, the, the changeover of the House to uh, Republicans, uh, obviously the Senate stayed the same. Everybody knows that. So Democrats will block anything dramatic. But Joe Biden would have e- would have probably, too. How do you see, um, by the way, uh, Gregory Wrightstone is the author of Inconvenient Facts, a best-selling book uh, you should get and understand on, on the so-called climate change. Um, how do you see the House changing hands, presenting opportunities for saner policy on energy for America? Well, I, I'm not I'm hopeful. But the problem we have there is that we've got uh, uh, Republicans this uh, are, are following this American consumer caucus or conservative caucus They're uh, They all there's quite a few of them there, including uh, uh, they just got back from Egypt to that COP27 conference. So they're all these Republicans uh are, are saying, well, there's a climate crisis and we need to solve it, but we need to use conservative solutions, which that that's a, I'll interpret that for you. That means we shouldn't spend three and a half trillion dollars. We should only spend 800 billion. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. Exactly. We, we won't throw all the money at it. We'll just throw some of the money at it. No. And, and yeah, yeah we've talked. It, there is no climate crisis. We see benefits accruing to modest warming and increased CO2. And what this is, they're throwing money at a non-existent problem. It's it's a solution in search of a problem is what I call it. And so if it's $800 billion, $3 trillion, I'd say one cent is too much to spend to solve a non-existent problem. Well, this is where we're talking with Gregory Wrightstone. Uh, again, uh, Gregory Wrightstone is uh, a book you need to have in Inconvenient Facts on your shelf and also go to CO2Coalition.org. Uh, this is where Trump back in the day, years ago now, when he said uh, the climate change things were the hoax, everyone went crazy. And, and what he sort of stepped towards was, well, whatever you think it is, throwing trillions of dollars at it is not the way to do anything like there's no there's no solution there's no seriousness of solution greta thornberg's uh, uh alarmism did not create any solutions that actually address what she said that it was a tr- it's a wealth transfer so enough on that we've covered that a lot let me ask you because we we're exchanging an email on this i, I want to hear you talk about the diesel prices i want to know why and what it means because we're that's a factor in this inflation people don't you know, my gas tank being filled up with gas is a problem for me. It makes me mad. But diesel costs going up, up, up is changing everything from food uh, to Christmas presents to anything. So walk me through this. Tell me what it's about and where we're headed. Yeah, well, right now, it's let's talk about distillates and define what those are. Yeah, distillates are, are it's it's diesel, home heating oil and jet fuel. Okay. And those are the distillates. They're they're similar, but there's some slight some slight differences. And that's what we're talking about here: the run up in prices for these things. And particularly, we'll talk about diesel. Uh, distillate levels right now uh, are lowest level since 2008. And actually, you have to go back to 1982 for October levels uh, to be as low as they were here just 30 days ago. And so, uh, what, what we're talking about, and think about it. In 2008 or 1982, low levels is really compounded now because our our needs and uses of diesel and all these others have increased greatly. Right. So it's not just that we're back to where we were in 82 or 2008, but now we've got pop, 
I was just looking, we probably doubled or tripled uh, the amount of gallons that are needed uh, for, uh, for diesel. And we need diesel for just about everything that you buy in the store. And so why are they so high is the question. There's a lot of things that go into it. Number one, we're exporting about a million barrels a day of distillates. Uh, people say, well, well, why don't we just sh-? They're talking, Jennifer Granholm's talking about shutting down those exports, keep right. it here in the United States. Um, that would probably, uh, it may help a little bit. Right. But the reason, there, there are a number of reasons why they're shipping it and exporting it instead of uh, selling it uh, in the United States. One of those was a few years ago, the EPA cracked down on refineries, lowered the sulfur uh, content in, in diesel uh, to a level that it was going to be very expensive for the refineries to upgrade, to get to reach what they needed. So a number of refineries just said, the heck with that. We're just going to stay with the higher sulfur content and we'll just export that. We can't sell it here. In the, so we're going to, you know, that, that that's a part of the reason we're exporting. Uh, the other thing has to do with the Jones Act. I think the last, I was on with you last week, we, we referenced the Jones Act prohibiting uh, importing inexpensive natural gas from Texas and Louisiana into Boston. Um, and what that does, it requires the Jones Act. If you're going to ship goods from one port to another, an American port to another American port, you have to use an American flag vessel using American crew. Well, that's a lot more expensive doing that than just using a, a, a standard carrier. Uh, so some some refineries look at that and say, okay, well, I can make another buck and a half. Uh, it's going to cost me a buck and a half a, a gallon or whatever it is less to ship it to Europe than if I sell it here. And that's that's one of the, this is the number of things, but these are self-imposed problems we've got here. Um, and so we've got, we're, we're going to have we're going to be facing this for a while. So even if Jennifer Granholm says uh, that we're going to we're going to stop exporting diesel and distillates, uh, a lot of these right now would not be permitted to be used in the United States because of the sulfur content. Um, we're, we're talking with, uh, oh, I said Gregory Wrightstone again, executive director over at the CO2coalition.org. There's a lot of there on that website, CO2coalition.org. Um, also his book, In- Inconvenient Facts. So if the distillates are going up, 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 um, I hate to say it. Where's the hope? I mean, what Gregory, what would the, I mean, we're going to have a presidential race two years from now. We'd have a new administration, you know, uh, uh, 27 or eight months from now, uh, longer if you figure that they have to confirm people and pass things and all, if there was a change in the parties, what's your best hope on this? Is that we just, Oh boy. Yeah. Muddle along. Well, I'm not sure you're the things that could be solved immediately would be a, a temporary ban on the Jones Act. Just lift it. That could be done this afternoon. And he could do that. Lift the Jones Act for exporting and importing LNG. That, that solves the Boston problem. Uh, that solves also without imposing a, a, a complete shutdown uh, and impose that by the federal government on exports. If you just lift the Jones Act, that probably brings more oil back to the United States than being exported. So, uh, but the, one of the big problems we have here, it's, it's a, it's a real tough nut to crack is the lack of refineries. Uh, I've seen as high as 50% of the refineries in the United States shut down over the last 30 years. And do you think, where, where do you think, Ed, if you were going to build a refinery, what, where would you build one? 
who would who wants a refinery next to them? Um, the existing refineries are kind of in place, but they're more more planned to be shut down. That's that's a real really bad problem we have here in the United States. Um, and you're well, going to have every when you, when you when you say that you mean the not in my backyard effect. People don't want it in their backyard because they don't. Right. They, they, we've now been conditioned to think it's the end of the world. Right? I mean that that every refinery is like Chernobyl. I mean so I mean if if you if you had a different mindset. Um, uh, if people if we had a different media that was more honest and 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 we had a conversation that you know since what tell me 25 years ago the the progress in making sure that what's coming into the air is safer it's like night and day right i mean there's plenty of technology to control this so it's it's a perception fed by the media fed by the left fed by the money it's an insatiable money demand so back to the swamp um yeah the, Greg, go ahead sorry I, I, no i'm just gonna say but yeah they're trying the epa in particular it's, it's their overreach they're trying to get every last part per billion of whatever thing anything that might be bad uh out of the air and the water and they're we're probably have cleaner water now cleaner air than we have since the beginning of the industrial revolution uh so we should celebrate that but uh, but once again it's these un, unintended consequences of this just you got to get that last part per billion out because we're all going to die. No, we're not. Right. Well, and and again, back to the uh, swamp. What I what I where I was headed was, um, as you described, the return of Republicans and Democrats, uh, uh, elected officials and and senior lobbyists and elect and, and administration officials from this Egypt uh, conference in Egypt, and everybody comes back and there's now just a debate. It's kind of like, should we spend a trillion or five hundred billion? Should we spend three trillion or one point one trillion? Sort of, we're already negotiating against ourselves in the sense that that's not going to solve the problem anyway. I mean, again, it, it's it's and and so. My my thought is, insofar, uh, Gregory Wrightstone's our guest, insofar as the American public has made a transition on what I would call the the American uh, uh, wars overseas, in the last couple of years, more and more Americans say, no more fighting in foreign lands for us. We don't want Vietnam. We don't want Afghanistan. We don't want Iraq. That's a pretty big mind shift. It's happened in the Republican Party, but it's happened also in the country. Can you foresee? Could you foresee? Are you hopeful that the broader, um, uh, uh, not just elected officials, but the the, uh, people will say, you know what, we see this as a hoax, a money grab, and we want to change it? Or are we again, are we trapped in a media landscape and a tech landscape that won't allow that even that thought to be out there? Oh, no, Ed, I'm very optimistic about that. I think the American people, uh, I've seen a huge uh, sea sea change over the last, particularly the last six months, but I saw it coming two years ago. I used to end, I started signing off on a lot of my emails, we are winning uh, here about a year and a half or two years ago. Uh, And I really see that. I see that the people, most random people I talk to are just thirsty for this information uh, about climate change that we provide, about the many benefits of warming and increased CO2. People are, are thirsty for this information. Uh, it, it's the very, very rare person that pushes back against this. They go, really? And they want to learn more. Uh, and that's, that's, I think we're winning the general uh, population uh, of, of the United States over to this climate realism and uh, climate skepticism that there isn't man-made catastrophic warming. Uh, 
Ed, we see that at the CO2 Coalition. Uh, we're doing a direct mail fundraising campaign right now, and we're focusing on our education outreach. We're, we're, we're creating comic books, uh, videos, and associated lesson plans for, for children and for homeschool parents. And we're using that. Uh, the direct mail company's been, been doing this with us has been doing this for 20 years. They're reporting to us that they've been, it's unprecedented, the response that we've got. They've never seen anything like this in 20 years. People are responding to our, our message of climate facts, not climate fear. And then the education, bolstered right on to that, is, is this education initiative uh, to reach out. We want to teach children science without the climate alarmism. And it's a, it's, it's something I'm really, really proud to talk about. We'll be rolling this out in about 30 days, Ed. Well, we'll, we'll talk want you more. To- yeah. Yeah. Let me, I, I, because I, and I'll let me, I got to finish, but say this, uh, you deserve a lot of cre- credit, Gregory Wrightstone, uh, for being out there for years and years talking about this when it, it seemed like, le- you know, not enough people were talking. So it's, uh, not enough people were listening. And now it feels like more and more people are listening. And I think, you know, I had a guest on, uh, on the program the other day on on the uh, China, as more and more people get clear on China and what the communist Chinese have done and how they take advantage of these uh, of these efforts. So maybe they probably feed them in terms of the TikTok or other social media to make America, you know, worry about things they shouldn't. It's a wealth transfer and it's an economy drag and it's meant to hurt us. So um, you're on top of it. Gregory Wrightstone, again, has been our guest executive director over at the CO2 Coalition, CO2Coalition.org. Get his book, Inconvenient Facts. We'll have you again very soon, Gregory. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break. Everybody will come back. It's uh, that website. He's got a lot of there there, and uh, he's got to listen to us. I'm not joking when I say he was out. He was out for years talking about this to 10 people, 50 people, 100 people, and now much of the country's listening, including some of the key folks. So uh, um, good for Gregory Wrightstone. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The Biden administration continues to abuse its investigatory powers by conducting a surprise seizure of cell phones belonging to Trump supporters. The cell phones of Boris Epstein and Mike Roman, both prominent supporters of President Trump, were among the most recent to be seized by the Justice Department. It's also reportedly issued dozens of broadly worded subpoenas in the space of just one week, demanding information about the activities of Trump and his supporters in late 2020. This is an unprecedented assault against the top contender for the presidency in 2024. Fortunately, Trump will regain his pardon power when he's reelected to the White House. But some weak Republicans are criticizing his promise to use it generously including by pardoning those prosecuted for joining the political rally at the Capitol on January 6th. These Republican critics of pardoning the victims of the deep state fail to appreciate where the divide has developed in our country. It's no longer North versus South, but the D.C. elites versus the rest of the country. It is the right course for a powerful conservative to use his constitutional power to pardon those wrongly persecuted by the deep state. And I wish that those weak-kneed Republicans who criticize President Trump's lawful exercise of his powers were just as quick to criticize President Biden's unconstitutional usurpations of his authority that go on day after day. Federal prosecutors have virtually unlimited resource without accountability in contrast with local prosecutors. 
The federal judge, Aileen Cannon, was right to hold that the investigation and treatment of a former president is of unique interest to the general public and the country is served best by an orderly process that promotes the interest and perception of fairness. The power brokers in D.C., through misuse of the Justice Department, wrongly attempt to decide for the entire country whether Donald Trump will be our next president. Much like Trump's epic battle against the titans of big media, his conflict with the titans of big government represents a proxy war for the liberty of ordinary Americans like you and me. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The hypocrisy and lies of the liberal media are alarming and even incite public unrest. But the fake news and the commentators whose slant coverage are finally being exposed. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to provide timely alerts and take effective action on your behalf. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Good to be back. Uh, hey, uh, well, wrapping up, I just have a minute or so. Uh, I want to uh, highlight um, Chris Fenton's book on China as a follow-up to Paul Boardman's uh, uh, book. Uh, Fenton wrote a great book. I'll put it up on social media. Um, uh, the tr- the dragon, the dragon, the tale of the dragon. I think it's called. It's about China and the Hollywood. Uh, Chris Fenton is excellent. You should check that out. We've had him on the show before a couple times, and uh, it's a follow up. Uh, the other one is uh, uh, General Robert Spaulding, uh, the Stealth War, which is about China's plans for America uh, and uh, to fight America and how they're engaged in a war already. Uh, both of those are really good and helpful, so check those out. All right, thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our uh, fearless producer, and uh, uh, Joanna Spilger, our associate producer. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.